Podcast. My name is Victoria Smith. I am your host, and today we're on episode number 62. I have no idea where I am personally at on this day that this podcast is going live because, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I have pre-scheduled so many of these podcast episodes because I may or may not have had my baby by now. To be honest, I sincerely hope I've had my baby by now because if I haven't, I'm a miserable human being. So... (laughs) (laughs) If you hear radio silence from me on social media, that is why. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest today, Dana Francis. So I first heard of Dana when she commented on my Instagram. And yes, we're millennials. That kind of thing actually happens, okay? So in checking out her profile, I could see that she had recently launched her own podcast called Career Pod, where she interviews people in sort of non-traditional careers. She's talked to air traffic controllers, radio DJs, podcasters, and even someone that owns their own recording studio. Now, as it turns out, Dana herself has been in a non-traditional career, if only from sort of a gender perspective, because she's a woman in the trades. Now, personally, I know of no women in the trades, so I was really curious and had all kinds of questions for Dana. Now... Dana has always been a trailblazer when it comes to battling gender norms. So we talk about her time in the Boy Scouts. Yes, I said Boy Scouts. What motivated her to go into the trades, the birth of her daughter, and how critically important it is to donate blood. So right from the start, I want to say if you have never donated blood before, I really encourage you to check out Canadian Blood Services or whatever your local equivalent is to see if you are eligible to donate. A simple donation could help save someone's life it saved Dana's. So finally, we talk about the inspiration for her podcast, Career Pod, and where she hopes to go with it. Now, Girl Tries Life is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. I actually do want to tell you really quickly about one of their member podcasts. We've talked about them before, Modern Manhood, but the reason I want to specifically highlight them in this episode is because Dana has actually interviewed German, who's the host of Modern Manhood, on her own podcast. So I'll link to both Modern Mo- Modern Manhood and to Dana's interview with German. So the other thing I want to tell you about is, as we are powered by ATB at the Alberta Podcast Network, is that ATB is hiring. So given that we're talking about careers in the workplace, not only were they just named number two on Canada's best places to work list, but they're also diving deep into some really creative and wacky tech stuff. So I highly recommend you check out ATB's LinkedIn page to see how you might fit in. So I will link to all of that, everything we just mentioned in today's show notes, which can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash six two. So have a fantastic day and I hope you really enjoy this interview with Dana. I had such a blast. Well, thank you so much, Dana, for joining us on the podcast. I'm so pleased to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. I've been listening to your show for a while now, so it's it's an honor to be here. Well, I was fascinated by your show, Career Pod, and we will get to that. But I want to start talking about, so you're a tradeswoman. Yes. So what what trade? I am a Red Seal steam fitter, pipe fitter. So what brought you to to that? How did you how did you get along that path? Uh, so many twists and turns. It was I before I got into the trades, I was working in construction retail for about a good ten years, and I was finding I was living paycheck to paycheck, and it finally hit me really hard one month when I had a a few. Sh- 
you know, a few strokes of bad luck, unfortunately. I had my car broken into in the middle of winter when it was like minus 35. And yeah, I I end up having to miss part of a day of work. And between the cost of replacing the window, I was really short that month. Like I was like, wow, this is, I have no money in my account and I'm putting things on credit cards and this is not that big of an expense. Like what if something really bad was to happen? Like I just, I didn't feel I was in a spot, you know, you're going on 30 and you kind of think, well, I, I can't use the mom and dad line for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I got to figure something out. And that was kind of when I started hearing radio ads about women building futures. And they were talking about, you know, these high paying careers in the trades. And I knew I was already physically fit because when you're working in construction retail, you're lifting boxes of flooring. You got baseboards (laughs) and casings. Like there's a lot of really heavy stuff you're lifting and you're doing and you're selling a lot of these products that, you know, tradesmen are buying. So I knew the knowledge was there and I knew the physical ability was there, but I'd never really contemplated it seriously until I heard about their program. So then I started having to like come up with, okay, well, what trade am I going to go into? My dad was an electrician. So I figured, yo, maybe I might try that out. And then I looked through his electrical books and I was like, wah, wah. <laughs> I was like, this is the most boring thing I've ever read in my life. There is just no way. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of women go into electrical. And I think a lot of that's because people are always telling women, oh, you know, it's a clean career. You know, you don't get yourself dirty and there's not as much heavy lifting. So you should go do that because people kind of think that, you know, we're these little dainty flowers that we can't. <laughs> I mean, y- you got to work out for sure and it takes a while to build up that physical strength but you know we're not the dainty flowers that people think we are well and you've not been like that since a young age from what it sounds like you were a a boy scout yeah Yeah. (laughs) growing up I was always a little bit of a a, a rebel in the sense that I I never enjoyed things that girls were supposed to enjoy I remember I had like this whole set of Barbies and I I never wanted to play with them. And even growing up, I remember there'd be like lumber scraps out in the yard from when my parents were building their garage. And I would start nailing, putting nails into it and building furniture for my Barbies. I was more interested in building things and deconstructing things. I remember one time there was this toaster and I was like, oh, mom, can I take apart the broken toaster? I really want to see what's on the inside of it. Yeah. So it was, yeah. And being in the Boy Scouts, I just, I was in brownies and then I was like looking at girl guides and they weren't really doing a lot of the things I was interested in. I was like, I love archery and I know the Boy Scouts get to do all sorts of archery stuff. So yeah, I basically begged and pleaded with my mother and she had to be uh, a leader in order for their, because you needed to have a female leader in order to have female Boy Scouts. Yeah. And me and my friend, I convinced one of my friends to do it. And yeah, (laughs) (laughs) the rest is history. (laughs) That's just me. I remember arguing with my gym teacher growing up. I was like, why do the girls locker rooms have to be pink? And he's like, well, that's just the way it is, Dana. It makes it easier to identify so that (laughs) girls know that they're supposed to. I was like, why can't it be orange? I was like, why can't it be blue? I was like, I'll paint it. I was like, I'll buy the paint and I will 
do it all for you guys. And he's like, no, Dana. <laughs> Yeah. The girls' locker room has to be pink. So, jeez, oh, it's funny. I was just talking to my cousin the other day, and she was saying how she her aim is to raise a strong girl and a sensitive boy, and just sort of to because, you know, we all kind of focus on the flip side of that. So to sort of turn it on its head a little bit, and mm-hmm. that it's okay for boys to be sensitive as well, and you know, yeah, it's okay for them to cry, and it's okay for them to have feelings, and it's okay for them to rebel against toxic masculinity like it's there's so many social norms that I'm really hoping for my daughter's sake because I have a little wee one and that definitely once again that flips everything because you want the world to be a better place for them and I remember growing up what it was like asking for boy toys like asking for a racetrack or asking for a nerf gun and getting a doll instead so I'm I'm happy that we're we're past that yeah but at the same time, it's you still see these social norms in place. Like I go to read her a book about all these fictional construction equipment that, you know, it's Sam the Bulldozer. And it's like all these masculine names. I can't find books where the construction sites have girls on them yeah. or it's it's really hard. And it's like you see a book in it. There's a pilot and the pilot's a boy. and. Yeah. Oh, it's and it's everywhere. My little my two year old watches Paw Patrol and there's six dogs and one of them is a girl. I was like, where's the gender parody and why does she have to wear pink? Why? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's funny. I put that on my Facebook once and I was really upset and I had a few friends actually they kind of got upset at me. They're like, oh, Dana, if you watch the show, I'm like, no, I watched a few episodes of the show. This is not They're like, oh, it's, you know, team building exercises. I'm like, these are fictional characters. Why can't we have gender parity in a fictional world? And yeah, I guess I have a few right wing I shouldn't even say right wing just you know kind of more traditional thinking friends that you know they don't see the importance of showing those role models at a young age because I mean this at least this is my own personal belief is that this is why a lot of girls don't pursue the trades because from a very young age they're taught that this isn't a path for them that this is a path for boys well and so with it being a very male dominated sector despite the fact that you had this passion and interest in it, was that at all a concern for you? Like in terms of fear of harassment or judgment or anything like that? Oh, definitely. It's funny for as much as I always enjoyed, I guess, more typically masculine things at the same time, I've always been very sensitive as well. Like it's, it's not too hard to make me cry. (laughs) Like if you say some really mean things to me, I'm going to turn into a mess. And you know, those people that cry ugly and their face looks like they've been stung by a bee. Yeah. Yeah, I I recognize that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a hot mess whenever I cry and you know, it, it has happened. I'd say probably about once a year that I have something happened to me at work that it just, it breaks me down that day and I start to cry and being in the trades was the first time that I realized that, you know, you can't just go run off. You gotta, I'll usually put my shades on. I'll explain to the guys. I was like, okay, I'm really upset today. And this is why. And it was really interesting for the, for the first time in my life, I was kind of owning my sensitivity, Mm -hmm. but that was always a huge concern. I knew physically as well. Like I'm, I don't know, I'm like 130, 140 pounds soaking wet. So I knew that there were things that I was going to need to lift that were going to be, 
you know, there's guys in the trades lifting things heavier than me. Yeah. So I, I had to be able to set those physical boundaries. I've kind of always thought that, okay, half your physical weight. I was like, I should be able to lift to that when I'm in good physical peak shape. Like I know a lot of people will say, don't lift in excess of 50 pounds. And I was like, that's just not realistic. When you get out into the trades and you're having to, you you find ways to move things around. There's definitely... Uh, things that give you mechanical advantage that can help you out. Yeah. And I've definitely learned, you know, there's there's ways to make your life easier, but it's still a very physically challenging job. And then on top of that, you're working in extreme temperatures usually. So in the winter, it could be as cold as minus 35, and you, you still got to get out there. And uh. in the summer, it can be plus 35, and it's like you're sweating to the point where you feel like you're going to pass out. So uh. it's it's very challenging, and I think the most difficult part has been the the people. Like, there's amazing people, the kind of people that I consider them family. But then for every nine of those guys, there's that one guy that – he just makes life difficult. He doesn't want you there and makes that known and makes your life difficult. Yeah. But I mean, for the vast, I mean, that's any workplace though, for that matter. Yeah, I, I was think- going to say it's, I mean, I guess the differences in other workplaces that could be a man or a woman that is that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I working in construction retail, I've had people that have not wanted me there and have made my life difficult. So, I mean, it, it really is that way everywhere. It just, it seems a little more lonely sometimes, especially when you're working up North because you could literally be one in a hundred. Yeah. So you don't have those other women to kind of chat with sometimes. And it's, it's interesting because it makes, it heightens the, kind of feeling like you're in your own little world when all the women that you are surrounded by, especially in camp life, are usually ones that have administrative roles. And you just, like, I don't fit in (laughs) at all. I tried once to go sit at one of, like, the girl tables, and I was like, they're like, oh, yeah, no, you can sit with us, but we have, like, another five friends coming, so maybe just grab it. And I was like, uh, I'm going to go sit alone over here. Oh. Yeah, it's 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 feeling like you don't fit in with the boys it's feeling like you don't fit in with the girls and you don't really have a place but you look at your paycheck and you 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 quickly forget about that well so what keeps you going beyond the money because money can only sort of sustain you for so long Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it like I learn it's always challenging you you're always learning something new there's never like I'm a journeyman now but I've only been in the trade for five years and you could be in the trade for 20 years and there's still new things to learn so I think that's that's probably my favorite part and just building things it is so rewarding when you take something and you look at the prints and you build it and you construct it and you're taking pride in what you're doing and I I just love love you know, seeing something that I did and not only that, but getting appreciation for other people for um, I'm a meticulous nature. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very meticulous. So, I mean, it, when it comes to checking things and it, it's I know this is going to sound bad, but sometimes it's kind of nice to come across other people's mistakes and get to fix them. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I'm doing something that, you know, you're adding I'm, value. I'm good at this. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and you're also an artist with it from what I've seen on Instagram. Like you use your welding skills to, to be creative. Oh yeah. I love welding. Uh, that's my mom actually wanted to be a welder growing up and didn't really have the opportunity to. So, and I can see why, cause it's just, it's, it's so much fun to take something and create it and, I was actually, when I was younger, I got my diploma in visual art and design from Keanu College in Fort McMurray. Mm -hmm. So arts has always been, I never would have imagined myself working in the trades, not in a hundred years back when I was younger. But when you start realizing that, you know, people that are drawn to the arts are also drawn to working with their hands and creating things. So it was really just a, a natural transition. Yeah. And so are you still living in Fort McMurray? No, uh, we're living in Leduc now. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, were you affected by the fires at all? But perhaps no. your work was? <laughs> yeah, actually, I was. this was right before I had my daughter, and I was kind of lucky because, well, I shouldn't say lucky. I was booted off the site I was working on because I brought a doctor's note to work saying that I couldn't perform 100% of my duties. Yeah. So there's it's kind of weird that you're working for a company that's working for another company. So the overseeing company basically said, Nope, we want her off for, off the site. So they booted me on my days off and someone had to pack up my locker. And yeah. I was really, really upset because I, I was planning on working for another month. And I knew as soon as I got pregnant that they didn't want me on the tools, but I was very adamant that I wanted to stay on the tools. They actually offered me a QC job for the time period I was pregnant and part of me is like oh maybe I should have taken it and then I could have stayed in the trade a little bit longer but you know everything happens for a reason but the fires that happened two three weeks after they booted me off site so my last shift actually would have been during the fires and oh my gosh it's yeah it's it's kind of funny that you just I was very lucky not to be there and I was actually at our farm and I remember watching the news articles and seeing the neighborhood I grew up in go up in flames like I watched the same video it was it was this one where there was like a truck driving over a hill and I must have watched that video 20 times and I'm like oh I wonder where that is I wonder where that is and when I realized it was you know the community I grew up in it was Beacon Hill I I just started crying and my husband's looking at me he's like oh dear pregnant lady crying what the hell's wrong I was like that's my home and it's burning to the ground you you know your roots are always wherever you grew up so it was a very emotional time for me to and especially with having friends and family still in Fort McMurray like I've never been so I was on Facebook I'm like are you okay are you okay and I was texting people are you okay are you okay and you know, it's it's a tribute to the strong people in Fort McMurray and their safety work ethic that, unfortunately, there were people that died on the highway. But as, coming from someone that's been born and raised in Fort McMurray, we've always lost people to those highways, unfortunately, even yeah. in the best of times. Like Highway 60, they used to have the saying, pray for me, I drive 63, because before it was twinned. People were dying on that highway all the time. It just wasn't a safe place to be. Oh, geez. So being from Fort McMurray, it has a pretty bad rep, rightly or wrongly, for uh, environmental impact. But you actually have a passion for environmentalism. So how did how did that come about? Is this something from your parents? Is it something like when did you become an environmentalist? 
I don't even know. It was just kind of something that was always with me when I was younger. And I kind of attribute that to being in Brownies and Boy Scouts. They were always very environmentally conscious and taught that. I remember I found an old little scrapbook and it's like, I want to be part of Greenpeace when I grow up. I'm like, oh, now, now I look and I'm like, okay, that's maybe a little too extreme for my, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sure people in Greenpeace are just like, just shuddering <laughs> thinking oh is this stupid or pipe bitter wanted to be part of our organization how could that be yeah. but uh yeah I just I always really enjoy the environment I remember bird watching at my cabin growing up and it was always something I was very passionate about I, I love nature I and that's the part of Fort McMurray that a lot of people didn't always see especially during the boom years because they kind of like our 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 city got a really bad rap for being a bad place to live. But yeah. that was because the people were just going there to work. They weren't, you know, Putting being down part roots. of the community. Yeah, yeah, they weren't being part of the community. And anybody that tells me that it was, you know, it's many bad words. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I could swear. But there was, <laughs> I, I've heard many bad comparisons of what it's like to live there. I was like, well, have you ever gone on the trails? Like yeah. Fort McMurray is just this maze of these beautiful trails that you can go and be part of nature. And people don't think of that. They just think of the negative aspects of it. Yeah. Well, and even then, like I've been there a few days here and there for work and like the people are so friendly, so, so friendly. And like, the main town is really adorable and like I'd spent time at the heritage park there and at the boats uh, down by the river like it's it is actually a very beautiful place yeah I'm so proud of my roots and I was like I will never cease to be proud of my roots like no matter where I go that that's home and it always will be yeah so when it comes to environmentalism what do you personally do to decrease your footprint I definitely found with having a daughter that I never realized how much we revolve around consumerism as a society until I was like, wow, it's like everything has to be new, new toys, new clothes, diapers, and all sorts. Like having a kid has got to be the worst thing you could possibly do for the environment yeah. in, in some ways. So we've definitely tried to, we cloth diaper, which it's funny because I hear all these people saying, oh, it saves you so much money. And now that I'm in it, I'm like, yeah, but you spend a lot of time <laughs> washing those diapers. Yep. I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have it any other way. But it kind of makes me feel like women need to value their or, you know, parents need to value their time more because it, it may be cheaper, but the labor is definitely there. Yeah. I enjoy it, though. You can see these cute little prints on her bum. I'm like, oh, it's a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can be a bit of a girl that way. <laughs> totally fine. And yeah, a lot of her stuff is all of her toys and her clothes is all secondhand. And I, I feel like that that's the one thing I wish more parents would do would see the value in reusing something because there's they grow out of clothes so fast. Like what's what's the point in buying new stuff? Yeah. I 100% agree with you on that. We ended up getting a lot of stuff uh, passed down by friends or my brother or whatever. And you look at the cost of buying things new. Like I get the car seat. I get, you know, yeah, that sort of thing. But it's just and then the waste that's involved with it. I mean, some of this stuff I can't even donate because they won't for safety or whatever cribs or this, that and the other. And I think what's going to happen mm -hmm. to it? Like I hate the idea of it ending up in a landfill is just ugh. 
that's one thing I love about all the swap and buys. And I didn't actually come across any of the swap and buys until I had my daughter. And it's just, it's nice because if there's something you think the Salvation Army might not take, you can always put it out there and be like, hey, I got these play clothes. Does anybody want these play clothes? And there's always someone out there that, that needs. Yeah, absolutely. What do you wish other people did more of, whether they have kids or not, to decrease that footprint? I'm a big fan of minimalism. So I think like when you're going out and you're shopping for something, ask yourself, do I need this? And if the answer is no, then just don't buy it. Take that money and, you know, put it towards a travel fund or put it towards your retirement fund. If you don't need it, you don't need it. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of stumble in these modern days is that they don't understand the difference between needs and wants. Yeah figure out what your needs are and, you know, treat yourself every now and then. I'm not saying never buy yourself anything nice ever again, but, you know, maybe you can take that money and go out for dinner instead. Yeah. When you just think of the huge shift, like from our grandparents' generation to ours in terms of how much stuff we have and how often we buy new things to replace them, right? Like, I mean, I think my grandmother would have had the same kind of dresses for years and you replace it once it's completely worn out. Whereas we, whether it's fast fashion or, you know, that new thing that, oh, I mean, indigo home, that is the worst for me. Like the home (laughs) section of chapters, I'm like, no, I don't need it. I don't need it. it." (laughs) But it's hard, right? Like it's ingrained in our current modern culture. Yeah. You think that, oh, that you know that owl statue is really going to make me happy (laughs) no that owl statue is not going to make you happy you don't need more stuff and it is nice once you start decluttering and you have less things it's it's refreshing then you feel like the space you live in is so much larger than you expected I remember at one point we live in a condo and thinking oh we need a bigger house we need a garage we need more bedrooms we need more bathrooms and once you embrace minimalism, it's you realize that you have so much more than you ever imagined. Yeah. Well, and it seems to create this mental space as well, right? Which mm-hmm. so many of us need right now. <laughs> yeah. I need that mental space with my desk. My desk is just a clutter of it's my sewing table slash my podcast editing table slash yeah. my oh, it's, it's a mess. So you had told me that you've traveled quite extensively. What, what, uh, where did that passion come from? I don't even know, to be honest. Like, it's funny because I flipped through old scrapbooks of mine and I remember saying, oh, I'm going to go to Greece one day. I'm going to go to Egypt one day. And I, it's just, it's always been in me, the desire to travel. And it's kind of funny because my ears, I had chronic ear infections growing up and I had both my ears rupture, I think like four or five times on each side, oh. but flying is very very painful for me yeah and it it always has been and it always will be but I've still always had this desire to go places maybe I'm thinking when I was younger my grandparents have a house in Mazatlan Mexico that maybe that was part of because our parents took us there a few times and they really they my grandmother's Chilean and she really made sure that we went out into you know we got past the touristy areas and we saw the way life actually was for the Mexican people and just seeing the different culture and the different way of people doing things and how little they had but yet at the same time how happy they were so I think maybe my younger days of traveling 
to Mazatlan may have helped helped with that. But I lived in New Zealand for a year when I was 19. And I think that really solidified the traveling bug in my 20s. Yep. Because after living in a country for a year, and I traveled to Fiji, Hawaii on the way back home. And it's just like, oh, once you get that travel bug, it, it gets you and it doesn't let you go. <laughs> yeah. So what did you do in New Zealand? What you- uh, I did. It was a working holiday visa. So you have to change your job every three months. And I started off working in a chocolate factory. Then <laughs> I know that was a, a bad combination. <laughs> bad <laughs> or really good? <laughs> It was good in a bad kind of way. My friend worked in a winery and I worked in the chocolate factory. So between (laughs) eating a lot of chocolate and drinking a lot of wine, I put on a lot of weight. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of sounds ideal though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. I worked at a supermarket also in a hostel and then came home. (laughs) Yeah. And then it was really sad that New Zealand made me come home. Aww. I was like, can I can I stay? And they're like, no, you have to go home. And I was like, well, can I come back? They're like, no, you need to leave for a year. I'm like, what? Aw. But you lived two other countries, uh, in two other countries, right? Yeah. Following the path of being a bit of a travel addict, I end up going to Costa Rica for four months over two years and I was doing uh, sea turtle conservation yeah and that was it was once again amazing because you're living with the locals you're not living on in a hotel or anything fancy like that and it was really physically challenging because you were working six days a week and 12 hour days because between guarding the hatcheries and doing patrols at night so it was it was awesome because you get to meet all these amazing people too. And I always tell people, like, if you want to meet some of the most interesting people you will ever meet in your life, go traveling and volunteer abroad because those are the good people. <laughs> those are yeah. the people that care about the world and they always seem to have the most interesting stories. Well, absolutely. And their passions will sort of align with yours as well, right? <laughs> and so- then I also spent three months in Guatemala trying to learn Spanish (laughs) unsuccessfully because I'm a bit of a conversation addict. I'm not sure if this is coming across (laughs) in the interview, but I love hearing people's stories and telling stories. So yeah, when you're surrounded by people from all over the world that speak English, that tends to be your crutch. You always go back to English because you can have so much greater depth of conversation than you can in a language where you're like, I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, so is there a standout travel experience from from your various travels? Uh, I definitely say Guatemala. There's there's so much. I, I love the culture. I love how friendly the people are. And every turn you take, it's like there's all these old cobblestone towns that they're not even in the tourist books but they're really interesting and you have so much once again going back to nature you just have volcanoes and I, I I climbed a live volcano when I was in Guatemala oh gosh yeah I would not recommend it it was like <laughs> I, it's right up there with some of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life because yeah. I actually melted my shoes <laughs> Ooh, okay then yeah no don't don't if that's on your bucket list just 
you know, it's, it's exhausting. And you imagine climbing a really, really, well, climbing a mountain, but then a mountain that's boiling hot. <laughs> yeah, I feel like walking in a sauna. Nope, nope. <laughs> nope, nope. I was young and dumb. What can I say? <laughs> so do you have plans to sort of introduce your daughter to travel when she's a bit older? When she's older and can appreciate it. Yeah. I don't want to do it right now because it's, she's not going to take much in for it. But definitely I want to introduce her to how the, you know, how the other half of the world lives because this isn't, I don't know, I think of the way we live here and I don't think it's reality when you got so many bathrooms and so much square footage and all these things that we don't need. And you go to places like Guatemala and Costa Rica and you see the, the family structure that people, you know, they have their grandparents living with them. Their entire families are living under the same roof. And you got like 20 people living in one house and there's one washroom. Yeah, <laughs> That's always interesting when you're living with host families. It's like, huh. Yeah. And it's a squat toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was lucky enough never to have the squat toilets except for my one trip to uh, Turkey, but oh, yeah. Yeah, we had those a lot it... in Southeast Asia. It was a it's an adjustment. <laughs> it's better it's better for you apparently. Yeah, try having food poisoning when you're on a squat <laughs> toilet. It's I it's like you're already so weak and then you're trying to sit there and you're yeah. like holding the the walls to hold yourself up. I hear you. I got salmonella in Cambodia. It was not my finest moment. I've had food poisoning in every country. Oh, no. <laughs> that's that's not a good advertisement for travel. <laughs> no, it really makes you appreciate your health when you're you're hugging the porcelain. It that's part of I think what part of the reason why I kind of stopped there for a while because it really. It scared me at one point. I came back from a trip to Turkey and Egypt, and I had, oh, I forget what they thought I had. It was like some sort of, because I took antibiotics, it killed all the good bacteria in my gut. Yeah. And I was a very, very sick girl for a long time when I came home to the point where I was very concerned that I was never going to be healthy again. So yeah. that kind of, it, it, that will scare you off of it. But that's the one thing I've learned about traveling is don't drink bottled water. Okay. Interesting, because they normally oh, say the opposite. No, you got to drink tea, coffee, and pop, because those are all things. The tea and the coffee are boiled, so you're they they're usually using better quality water, and it's being boiled, so it boils off the bacteria. And pop is so highly produced, but a lot of third world countries. I didn't realize this till afterwards, and it probably explains why I've had food poisoning in every single country. Is sometimes they'll refill the water and have. Uh, they have a system where they can reseal the cap. I did not realize that. Yeah. Oh. So that's career pods. <laughs> Tip for traveling. There you go. Don't, don't stay away from tomatoes and <laughs> and don't drink bottled water unless you are like a hundred percent sure that it is coming from a place like a brand new gas station or some place that you know they wouldn't be doing that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, I want to quickly talk about, um, entirely up to you, actually, if you want to share this question or not, but I, your daughter's name I find so interesting. I was curious what the inspiration was for it. But if you don't want to share that publicly, that's also cool. Oh, no, I, I love her name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you say your child's name more often than you probably should, because you yeah. just love the way it sounds. Yeah. Uh, we named our daughter after Nikola Tesla. Yeah. So her name is Tesla. 
And my grandmother phoned me the other day, just absolutely horrified. She's like, you realize you named your daughter after a car? <laughs> I'm like, no, grandma, I named my daughter after the man the the car is named after. So yeah. hopefully she doesn't get mad at me one day. I know I was always mad at my parents for having a unisex name. So yeah. hopefully when she finds out that I named her after a man that declared his love to a pigeon that she doesn't hate me <laughs> he did so much more than declare his love to a pigeon though yeah oh I know he's yeah. such an amazing man and part of the reason why I is it's amazing how they write history because everybody knows Edison but not everybody knows Tesla yeah oh that's great so you're you have braved the world of podcasting uh can you tell us a little bit about career pod what the focus of the podcast is I think I've kind of touched into so like it's my personality has come out of the beginning of the podcast that I really feel that women aren't being encouraged to pursue these high paying careers. So that was kind of where it started. I wanted to encourage women to pursue these career paths so that they could, you know, lift themselves out of what I felt like when I was working in construction retails that I was living kind of on that line of almost being in poverty because I couldn't no yeah <laughs> it, it's yeah um actually I didn't know about podcasts until 2016 when my daughter was born I always had <laughs> friends telling me oh you should listen to these podcasts I think you'd really like them and I'm like yeah sure yeah no I don't I got I don't got time for that and then you're and, stuck at home with a baby yeah <laughs> yeah I unfortunately had a near-death experience with the birth of our daughter and that left me housebound for a little bit longer than you would normally be oh so my gosh. I, I any of you out there donate blood thank you so much I know I wouldn't be here if it weren't for blood donors so I just I, there's no words for the gratitude yeah can I ask what happened oh it's well it's a bit of a complicated story but basically I had a hematoma uh, over uh, out of, uh, my lady parts basically blew up is the best best way to. Okay. <laughs> I had a, a series of complications that led to a lot of a high volume of blood loss. Yeah. So I had they had to pull my uh, placenta out. That was it was being a little sticky, oh, so yeah. that wasn't good. And then I had an episiotomy, so that wasn't good. And when I had the hematoma basically burst it also burst my stitches from my episiotomy so I lost a lot of blood oh and that led to cerebral edema which is a swelling on your brain due to excess fluids oh so I I wasn't really there for a portion of it I was very confused and people would ask me what's your name and I'd be like it's okay Oh my gosh. A, to the point where if I ever say it's okay, my husband just freaks out. <laughs> He's like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> Please don't say that again. But yeah, rushed in for emergency surgery and got some blood donations. And thank you, oh, positive people out there. You're awesome. And I yeah. love you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's terrifying. But yeah, you really, you don't have, when you lose a lot of blood, you don't, have the energy levels even though I got a bunch of blood transfusions unfortunately coming home the energy level wasn't there so podcasts really at a time in my life where I kind of felt like I was just 
broken both physically and mentally because I wasn't leaving the house. I should have been. And then because I didn't have the energy to do things like clean my house, I didn't want friends really coming over. People would be like, oh, let's, you know, I'll come over and visit. And they're like, no, no, just please stay away. So podcasts were kind of my connection to the human world again, hearing conversations and learning new things. It really helped distract me from what I was going through. Yeah. So you interview people who have interesting careers, it seems like. Yes. <laughs> well, that was one thing when I started looking for podcasts, I was like, I'm not seeing a lot of women in the trades or that mm-hmm. kind of those those stories aren't really being told a lot. And I was like, I really feel like they need to be out there because if more women are going to get into the trades, it we need to show them examples of women that are doing this and being successful in it and enjoying it and you know maybe it's not for everyone but maybe that's just a little little bit of uh motivation that they need to pursue it to hear someone else's successful story but then I also kind of felt like it was a two-part equation that a lot of men aren't going into female dominated trades yeah so that's it's it's been more difficult for me to find those kind of interviews because coming from a trades background I, I I'm integrated into that community already yeah but that's definitely something I'm hoping to do more in the future like uh, male dental hygienists uh, nurses yeah kindergarten teachers like there's a lot of professions that are still very female dominated that I'd, I'd like to see more men in it because I think especially with our kids growing up they need I'd like to see more male role models and not necessarily just when they get to high school years yeah absolutely well, I think that sounds great. Yeah, you, I mean, you've got an air traffic controller on there. Like, you've done, you've got some interesting jobs represented. <laughs> and there's, of course, I it's I do the odd interview for fun as well because I know a lot of people are interested in in those non traditional careers in the art scene as well. So yeah. we had a musician slash owner of a studio on the show as well. So it's not just about you know, it's not just my feminist agenda. Yeah. <laughs> There's also, you know, there's something for everyone on there. And I that's one thing I love about careers is the more you learn about them. And it's not even necessarily you need that information. But especially nowadays when the job climate's always changing, you have to be prepared for a change. And then not only that, you want to be supportive to your friends and your family that, you know, maybe they lose their job due yeah. to the recession. You want to be able to be like, hey, have you ever thought of becoming an air traffic controller? Because they make really good money. And this is a really awesome career choice that you should maybe consider. Well, and it's interesting. I've been talking to a lot of my guests as well who have kids and it's that we there's just this uncertain economy of the future or what the jobs will be. And so I keep asking parents, like, how are you preparing your kids for that and and a lot of them are like I don't know just these trans like figuring out transferable skills so they they can figure that out and that maybe university is not the best option for for everyone and you know different certificates or different trades or this kind of thing like I think we have to really keep our our mind open when it comes to career possibilities of the future yeah, and it's really scary, all these people going to university and college and racking up like, you know, $80,000 worth of debt, and then they get out into the workforce, and there's nothing there for them. Yeah. And that just like, that makes me itchy. I'm like, ah, no, don't do that. Like, I I think it's in some places in Europe that they'll actually, in college, they'll have a trades background along with the education. 
Don't quote me on that. But yeah, I think the trades are really important. You have to be multifaceted in this day and age because you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. So having interviewed, uh, you're early on in your podcasting days, but having interviewed a few guests, what's the sort of biggest lesson that you've learned from them so far? Oh, there's so like every single guest, you end up learning something new. And it's always especially being new to the podcast world. There's little tips that people give you. Like I remember when I was talking to Kendra the first time, she's the air traffic controller. And she's like, okay, well, what's your mission statement? And I was like, Boo. <laughs> I, you, mm, uh. <laughs> and yeah, it just made me realize that I had to have focus and clarity and a purpose behind the show itself. Like I couldn't just be going out there and talking and hoping that someone listens. Yeah. So for me, I realized the underlying reason of why I'm doing this is that I, I want to see the extinction of the gender pay gap. I know a lot of people say that, you know, women are making less money because they're not pursuing high paying careers. I'm like, well, let, let's try to change that. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic mission. And we'll definitely link to your podcast in the show notes. I highly recommend people check it out. Yeah. And also just having confidence in yourself. That's I'm, there was a time that I, I felt like i my message shouldn't be out there. And I, the recording studio I go to, he was like, no, this is a really good show idea and you need to make this happen and you need to do whatever it is you need to do to get this out there. Cause he's like, it's an important message. And I think the more I get that from the people I interview, it helps build my confidence because I'm not naturally, I'm an introverted person. So this is not something that comes natural to me by any means. Yeah. It, it, it scares me <laughs> almost every single time I do an interview, I'm sitting there and I'm just like shaking, but it's like, it's the good kind of shaking. It's the good kind of excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your daughter's going to learn so much from that, right? Like the courage that you are in order to bring this message forward, you're having to put yourself out of your comfort zone to do that. Like that's a, an incredible message for, for your child. And with having so many complications post-birth, it made me realize that there's not, like, my voice really isn't out there right now. Like, if I would have left this world, I would have left her with nothing to take from who I was as a person. Like, maybe some travel photos. And she'd be like, okay, well, mom liked to travel. <laughs> it really, it kind of wakes you up when you go through a near-death experience. That you're like, okay, well, what am I giving back to this world and if you're coming up empty-handed, you got to figure out what you need to do to contribute. Oh, my gosh. My hand's on my heart right now. That just got me. Oh, yep. You never know, man. Like, any, <laughs> any day could be your last. So if you want to do something and you're scared that, you know, of doing it, just, just jump because you never know. Yeah. You never know. Oh, well, on that note, before I start crying, we're going to move into the, the five wrap-up questions that I ask all of my guests. So, Dana, what's one of the things or the projects that gets you really fired up in a good way that you just have a passion for, you love doing? The podcast, yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is 100% of me right now is going into this. And if I can even just convince one person to pursue a career path that they hadn't originally thought of like I feel like my work's done yeah. and then I'm leaving this this trail behind for my daughter as well yeah so that she can maybe pick this up one day and be like oh that's interesting <laughs> yeah what's the most inspiring book that you've read in the past few years 
It's actually one I just recently picked up. There's a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? Oh, yeah. And yeah, I started reading that one night. I'm like, oh, this is going to put me to sleep. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, this guy's so witty and funny. And he has all these amazing tips for looking for work that it's it's funny to think that these are all coming from, well, unfortunately, he's he's, uh, recently passed away last year. But this man was just, he put his heart and soul into trying to help other people change careers because he saw how much it affected them mentally and he wanted to contribute back in this way and he was doing it straight to the day he died which I I flipped to the back and when I realized he had recently passed away I started crying (laughs) he's he's worked so hard to give to the world that you know the the world has lost a the world has lost a good man but I mean because that's a book from like the 80s yeah, Is but it? he would continually yeah. update it every year. Like, the the 2018 version is probably the last version that's yeah. going to be out because he updated that uh, last year. Yeah. It's great that I... it had so much relevance for so many years and will continue to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of things in there that I never – I wish somebody would have told me, but I think back in high school you don't take the good advice. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of plow through life. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? So words I try to live by are, I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious by Albert Einstein. So I just think it's important that, you know, I remember growing up and people telling me that I wasn't smart and I was dumb, but I had all these interests and I never really took art as a, you know, appreciate the things that make you unique and make you different and just pursue whatever you're interested in and Eventually, that will lead to what you're meant to do. Yeah, I love it. So what's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? Uh, First, to help yourself. Like if you are broken as a person, you're not going to be able to contribute back to society. So look inwards. And once everything in there is looking all pretty, then you can... (laughs) You can go out and you can make the rest of the world a better place. Because I know with that was one of the things I loved about working in the trades is I had that spare income that I could start giving to charity. Like not only could I help myself and I was in a place where I was financially stable, I could send kids in Calcutta to school that wouldn't have normally had the opportunity to. Yeah. Oh, good for you. So final question, Dana, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? Wake up every morning like it's your last. And if you, you've, think that way you will live differently (laughs) yeah and it's funny because a lot of people say well then I would just like go and blow all my money or do whatever but I think I think what a lot of people mean by that is just like be more present be more thoughtful in decisions you make and empathetic and realizing what other people's situations are like if someone's being mean to you realize that 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 comes from a place of hurt yeah Well, thank you so much, Dana, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun.